Today on episode 12 of the eWork podcast, Feder Hulse on similarities between poker and entrepreneurship. Hello and welcome to this episode of the eWork podcast. My name is Lian Worma and this is the space where founders get to share their stories of how they got an idea and turned it into a profitable business. Today's guest is Fedor Holtz. Fedor is a founder with an interesting backstory. He dropped out of university and became a full-time poker player, reaching number one in the world in 2016 and gaining over 32 million in live earnings. He has won the European and World Poker Tours, the World Series of Poker Bracelet, and was named Forbes 30 under 30 in Germany in 2018. In 2017, Fedor co-founded Prime's Mind, an immersive mindset coaching application that provides visualization and goal-setting techniques delivered through captivating audio content. Most recently, Fedor founded and became the CEO of Poker Code. Poker Code is the number one poker community with the vision to accompany and support poker players globally on their personal poker journey. Fedor, it's great to have you on our podcast today. Thanks for having me. It's actually not every day that we have a poker champion on our eWork podcast. Can you give us a very quick background on your poker career? Sure. I mean, the very short version is that I started playing poker with friends when I was maybe 16, 17. I studied and didn't like my study, but I really liked poker. So I started playing poker full time, quit my study, and then uh, two, three years later, started being successful with it and uh, then became number one in the world, both online and live later. And uh, in 2016, I took uh, a longer break and now I'm playing a bit more again. Wow. Just didn't like studies and so became the number one poker player in the world. Mm-hmm. I don't think everyone can say that. And you mentioned it took about three years, I think you said, for you to become successful. How did you find the motivation to just keep going and keep playing poker? I, I'm not sure. I think it's something I have to find. Like I, It was just there. I think it's, it's either there or it's not there, especially when maybe circumstances aren't so great. Like I think I, I'm generally the a believer in not having to force things too much when there is this fundamental motivation or or drive towards something. And that was definitely there for me. I just really love the game. I love the, the growth in it or how to learn it or how to get better. I love solving these puzzles and, and getting better. And yeah, that was my key driver for it. And I think that's what uh, motivated me to uh, continue playing, even though I wasn't <laughs> winning money with it. Sounds like internal motivation rather than the external motivation of winning and then yeah, winning your tournaments, basically. Yeah, if you want, you can say so, yeah. At some point, you were successful, started uh, to play these super high-stake tournaments. I can imagine that can be quite stressful. There's a lot of money at stake. These people are probably really good. Or you can see on your face what you're doing. At least that's what they do in the movies. Did you experience a lot of stress? Um, there's definitely stressful situations, but I, I'm generally, I would say, good at adapting. You get into a more stressful situation and then I adapt to that situation. And then there's something that's maybe a bit more stressful or higher. Or... So, yeah, I would say one thing was definitely playing against tougher opponents step by step until I played against the toughest. And then that became kind of everyday practice. Mm, I think the other side of things is just the money. So you play for higher amounts. Also, then there's a limit where that where that limit is reached. So I, I would say uh, it's always kind of when that, at, at whatever step I was, there was always this next step that was a bit thrilling or exciting. But I, I wouldn't say I felt extremely stressed. It was more like, okay, there's some tension, there's some, some, some pressure, but it never felt like overwhelmingly stressful. It was just more like, oh, there's this cool next thing that I can work towards. 
Uh -huh, so you're saying it, it kind of builds up like every step is a little bit extra thrilling and you get used to it and then there's another step. So. Yeah, I mean, we generally say what we call stress. I think it's very much a perception thing as well because I, I think physiologically, let's say being nervous and being excited is almost the same or exactly the same thing. So I feel it's somewhat similar there. It's You can say, oh, I was super nervous going up on stage or I was super nervous playing this big tournament uh, or you could say like, I was just really excited. Like this is something thing you need you know it's big it's for a lot of money it's like going to you know small actions are going to have a big impact it's, I just I think that's amazing like I, I think there's very few better situations than to put myself out there and and have a few small actions decide for a lot like I, I think that's just something that I find really thrilling and so maybe for others that's very stressful to make one decision and you know lose one million or win one million but for me that's the that's the entire excitement of the whole process I like that, just reframing that stressful feeling as excitement rather than nervousness. Because it is. Like, I, I really think when you go out there and you're like, wow, this everyone is in the same spot. There's not, you know, this is not particularly different for uh, for someone. Most likely it's even, you know, more pressure for, for most others. Um, and then it becomes more uh, a practice and stress. And, and on the other end, I think a lot of the stress is, is self-inflicted as well as you can mostly choose to change the environment. You don't have to play for these large amounts. You can play lower or you can sell action or you also don't have to play all the time. You can change and adapt the environment in a way that it's actually a very, uh, that it's right in your sweet spot. So I think it is not as stressful of an environment uh, as most people think if you're just hit, um, acting professionally or if you, if you put your mind to how to make it a great environment for yourself. And is it something you had to learn over time? Did you get, did you get better at that or... Oh, totally. I, I sucked in the beginning, of course. I mean, I, I think there's a few things that come into play. And a, a big thing is, for example, that there, there's some level of self-destruction, I think, in, in everyone who starts poker to some degree. But but in probably all areas, I see this in, in, in all areas, just in different forms. So when, when you play poker, there's parts where you may be not so happy with yourself or where you maybe lie to yourself to a certain degree or where you would like to be somewhere, but you're maybe not willing to put the effort in and, and to keep that illusion up um, because you're just not ready yet, mentally ready. There's going to be some self-inflicted pain, like you sometimes put yourself into exactly these type of situations because you want to feel something, because you're maybe not happy with other areas in your life. There's a lot of room to make your journey harder than, than necessary. And I think that is a really important process to go through. Like I, I could have just, like if I script my journey right now, it would have been very easy. Like I would have just been just very strict with what limits I play, like just slowly moving up, just, you know, you don't do that you you overestimate like I overestimated myself I, I played lower and I thought then I won something that I thought I was the best in the world then I played higher then I lost money there then I went back to smaller then I had to rebuild then I played higher again then I lost that again then I had to borrow some money from a friend and that sucked like I felt terrible then you know as you go through these if I would have just you know stick to a plan it would have just been super easy smooth sailing so it wasn't like that that sounds very reflective. Is it something you, you learned after you stopped playing poker or at least stepped out a little bit? Or is this something that came along the journey as well for you? I mean, I would say there's most of it is, is more not soft skills, but more uh, not so poker related personality things, I would say. So especially for me, I grew up and, and I think that's mostly where, where this gets shaped is I'm not a very disciplined person. I'm pretty passionate, like I'm curious. I'm easy to get hooked by things that I'm interested in, but I'm also 
I don't have the stable ground where I'm just, okay, like I, I do all my cores. That's just not who I am, or at least what I learned growing up. So basically that shows in, that showed in my professional career as well, that showed in my poker career is that there, I just didn't learn this. I, I didn't learn to connect these things to like that that's something that is good for me i always saw it as a burden like my mother wants me to do something so i i developed some form of pushback towards things that i think i have to do or that are externally pushed onto me like you have to do this thing and um, i did like school very much so there were a lot of moments where i felt like external factors are pulling me in one direction that i think is not really valuable for me and that's something that i saw in my professional life i have a hard time separating that where now is like there's things that i have to develop this understanding of oh this is actually beneficial for me this is good for me like it's it's good for me to um, buy groceries like make food for myself because i feel better afterwards it's a nice feeling like lots of things like this were very simple super basic things that a lot of people learn you know in their childhood like i just had to learn those things and and with um with poker it was kind of the same as like to learn to be patient like to to enjoy the process to not want too much to you know build a good routine because that is rewarding itself to strengthen the things that i'm that i'm good at but also that i enjoy and to, to build on those like this was something I had to go through of two, three, four years of just a whirlwind of messing things up and, and then feeling bad and then realizing, okay, this is not the way I want to do it. And then coming to that conclusion, at least for me, I think that was a necessary pain that I needed to realize that there is, that it's worth to look for something that's more valuable or stable out there. And, and now I would say, uh, um, those things are coming more and more. Sounds like very valuable lessons and just poker was for you the medium to learn. So yeah, it could have been anything, I guess, but, but it, it was a good, it was a good playground for me. I can imagine. And being the number one in the world is probably also a very good feeling at some point. Yeah. Um, not as, not as important as you might think, but yeah, it's, I, I would say separated from that, it's just nice to do something that you enjoy, period. Like, um, I think that was the significantly more important part of it that I did enjoy in a lot of parts of the process. Um, I think it would have been significantly less rewarding if it was just the accolades and not so much of uh, the enjoyment, which I see in a lot of other people's uh, journeys where I think if you cross a certain line where the majority is more like you have to push yourself through, not really worth it, I would say, in most cases I've seen. And I, I would second that. Like uh, my last one and a half years, I, I was at that point already and um, doing something. And I, I don't know how it is in other areas, um, most likely the same or similar. But in poker, it's terrible to do it when you don't really enjoy it. It's just a really, really bad setting. You sit very long time in the same spot. When you don't enjoy that, you're just hating your life there. So uh, I think it's very important to to like it a lot when you when you do it. Yeah, I guess that's true for a lot of a lot of areas and I know you're an entrepreneur and this is officially a podcast about entrepreneurship do you draw that parallel with entrepreneurship like you have to enjoy what you're doing otherwise it's horrible yeah I I think there's this weird generally with a lot of words or, or let's say concepts I would say that goes in two directions or, or there's a different images or ideas used for a similar concept so this idea of enjoy what you do I, I think there's a direction where it's really about like be sloppy or just you know do it whenever you want like just kind of uh you're not forced to do anything like you you can just do whatever you want like there's i think there's there's a direction that i i really do not mean with that um there's a degree of intention that's necessary to do things well and enjoyment when i say that is really more like this sensation of real immersion of just you're you're really 
doing the thing with intention, a lot of your energy is, is flowing into that topic or, or a setting or whatever. And for me, as a rule of thumb, it's just when there's no intention, there's no outcome. That's what I mean with that. So generally when, when it's about like do something you like, I think it's not really about like freedom of choice. I think it's really more about when you do something, make sure that you do it with intention and don't settle for doing something and having no intention or channeling no energy. It will just lead nowhere. That's at least my belief. You can work hard, but if it doesn't come from a place of internal motivation, your intention, then nothing much will come of it. There's no creativity. There's no real inspiration. There's no pioneering. There's no real new creation as well. Uh, and I don't mean that by something fundamentally new. It's really more just putting pieces together and like making little steps ahead, which I think if I look back at the things I've done, nothing ever really better coming out of things that I just do mindlessly executing. Like it's just... Sometimes that's what needs to be done, but I would say for the majority of my life, I would rather do things that have more intention. And I, I think the biggest part is really when it's about trade-offs. I think it's not really, but I think this idea, everyone is is kind of, right? Like, let's say you have an abundance of, of options. You, you don't have to do any trade-offs. Everyone just obviously does the thing. They, they, they want to do more. Um, if they're in a somewhat content state, um, if they're maybe not very content, they might inflict some some self-damage uh, and, and sabotage themselves. But but let's say they're in a content state. I think everyone navigates to the things they gravitate towards, the things they enjoy more or, or feel more captivated by. But I think the real difficult part is when you have to make trade-offs. So what, want to do something more with intent or do you want to make more money? I think that's where like decisions are being made. And and that's where I, I, I think my statement there is less about, oh, sure, that's one thing that's... No, my statement is I would rather do something with intention, basically anything else except probably breathing. It's 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 true. Like I don't that that was a big that was a big reason for me, I think, why I quit my university and why I was always like why I didn't go to school. Like it's personality wise, I just really don't like doing things without intention. It's just something I, I really, really dislike. That makes sense. And and do you find those trade-offs a lot? Is that something you often have to choose between? All the time. Sure. Every day. The environment never changes. It's, I would say it's, it's more fundamentally stressful or it was more fundamentally stressful 10 years ago. 10 years ago, it was about very, very fundamental things for me. It was about survival to some degree. I could manage. And I think even looking back, it, it felt much closer to survival than it actually was, um, which I think was a big part of the struggle. Naturally, I don't really have such a big problem with, with just doing things very simple. Like I was eating spaghetti, tomato sauce every day, like white bread. Like that was just because, okay, I have no money. So I just eat cheap. That necessarily in itself, like I wasn't, oh, I would love to eat something else. Like I, it wasn't so much this. It was just a mental perception or my mental perception of, I almost have no money, you know, I I almost couldn't be eating but like it wasn't like we were poor but we weren't like you know you couldn't afford food and and there would have always been like a, a a way to solve that so i think if i if i would have seen things a bit more realistic there of like okay money's very tight i actually don't mind uh, doing this for a year or two i think it would have been uh significantly easier i think perception is a huge part of of those type of uh, trade-offs but but nowadays even like it's kind of it's the same thing just in a different color like 
I mean, now I get offered money and it might be a lot of money and I have to decide. Like, let's say someone offers me, let, let's make a hypothetical, right? Let's say someone offers me 50,000 euros to speak in an event where I think the values are terrible to communicate. You do it or not? There's a very strong social argument of like, a lot of people would say, yeah, it's like, you know, unless it's maybe an event about racism, uh, there's some line, right? There's going to be like, ah, oh, you know, but it's a lot of money, just like it's a one-time thing. And then on the other side, it's like, no, you know, where where do I make these trade-offs? Where do I draw the line in the sand? Where do I say, no, this is just not who I am. This is not where I want to communicate. These type of trade-offs exist all the time. And, and if a lot of those opportunities come, you're just in this situation all the time. There's constantly, you know, like there could be a job, you know, it's like, hey, work for us. We pay you a lot of money. Like there could be, could be a speaking event, could be uh, an ambassador program. It could be, could be anything that, that uh, is an opportunity. And then you have to make up your mind. And, and 10 years ago, it was just different, just like less external opportunities and more me deciding like, okay, I have these options. Like, do I rather go to university and, and make my family happy or do I play more poker? And like my friends, you know, might not like it that much and, and think, what, what what is this guy doing? There's lots of situations like this where I think traders uh, are just constantly, constantly there. And it's very important to be aware of them because it's, that's the struggle itself. It's like, we're, if you're not sure how much you care about A versus B, you're just going to sit there and, and struggle. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have these internal values like, hey, I would never go to a speaking event and, and say things I, I disagree with. But at the same time, when money might be tight, they might make a different trade-off. And I think I hear you say, it doesn't matter what situation I'm in, I'm still going to go with my values. N not so much. At least I try to, um, I, I want to say there's still a lot of situations that come up and every time it's a, I, I really try to be very aware of that process from before when I think about what I care about and the opportunity itself, but then also afterwards, what like reflecting on what I thought about it and how it actually turned out to be and where I maybe lied to myself to shift something in one or the other direction. And I would say, for example, to make it very concrete in terms of entrepreneurship, or in my case, like in, in terms of poker, the biggest thing is probably social acceptance or perception versus maybe what you want. And I would say that's probably the most likely and hardest trade-off. And I think it's this A or B versus A and B. I think that is the key thing I would I would give to late teenagers, early twenties, when you make these decisions that just feel like these I, I'm breaking off my family, you know, like either this or this. I love making art, but my family thinks it's stupid. And you it really feels like either, you know, you will never have contact with your family again and your family abandons you or but you can pursue your craft. And now these like two so important things for you just stand at opposite sides of it and it's just unimaginably separated from each other where you think like there's no reality where those two things exist in the same way it's like my family loves me and i do the thing that i that i want to do and i think to to integrate these things what i've learned is when it's about integration i think it's also a lot about integrity and when i start with my own integrity of okay let me start focusing on the thing that i can influence then the other thing normally finds uh, a way to surprise you i made the choice but i struggled a lot with the choice i wasn't like hey you know this is my choice and like things will things will be fine like i, I didn't have that that long-term belief in like the future, let's say like that. But at least I made the choice of like, I, I was like, ah, I'd rather do this even though it's painful. 
um, I think a lot of the suffering wouldn't have been necessary. I could have just been, I make this choice because this is the thing that just seems the most true to, to me and everything else will fall in its place at some point. Um, that would probably be the biggest advice that I would give to myself or others is just don't try to focus on those things you can't influence is like to, to make choices to then make your family love you. It's not gonna, not gonna work out this way. No, true. I like what you're saying. Like you can only control, you can only have influence on what you can control. And if, if you just stay with that, then hopefully the rest follows. Are you still in contact with your family? Yeah. <laughs> I assume some of the story, but I thought that'd be awesome. That would be a, that would be a bad ending for, for that point. No, no, I, I have a great relationship. Uh, I, at least actually, I, I have to be honest there, a part of my family, not so much. So like my, my mother and my father and my sisters, uh, very good, uh, contact, but, uh, the rest of my family, there was a bit of a, a breakout. So, um, but also I, I don't struggle with it or I don't feel bad with it because Actually, that's also something that's like, I, I reflected a lot, uh, on it and I feel like I've been pretty true to, uh, to me and, and, uh, there's definitely some parts to explore and some pain here and there, but the majority of it, I feel like there's definitely room for me to learn and explore, but at least I feel fundamentally I've been, I've been pretty honest. Yeah. I can imagine most parents don't assume their child will become a poker player. So the career that they envision, so someone saying, Hey, I want to change, I want to stop university and become a poker player. Not easy for a lot of parents, I can imagine. Yeah, but that's their personal struggle. True. Yeah. I think that's important to acknowledge as well as like, it's not to not ignore it, like, or, or discredit it, but I think it's also important to realize it's like, because they're clinging on to some idea they have in their mind and uh, maybe it's also healthy for them to realize like life's going to be fine even if my if i don't know where it's going or what it's becoming it's like that's the that's the beauty of it like it would be a pretty dull life if you plan out the life of your children for 60 years like it would be not very colorful so and a lot of responsibility if that's your job as a parent. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if it is. It's just very boring. Yeah. I mean, imagine imagine you live out the life that's bound to the creativity of like what your parents could think of or what like that's that's it. Like you just oh, for 40 years, you just do the same thing every day. Like, I don't know, like that's not really. Uh, and I think that's great to break out of this and, and realize like, hey, there's, there's so much more. And it's maybe great for them to break out of it as well and realize, hey, there's so much more. Like, I think sometimes some processes are really important that are really painful for some time and just really rewarding after that there's just no way around the pain it's just not possible to to get to that point later uh, unless you have that level of deconstruction some process just just require deconstruction to reconstruct in some way and and we perceive that deconstruction as pain and i think that is uh, extremely important to see as something positive as well at some point, you started working with Elliot Rowe um, during your broker career. How did that influence your mindset, state of mind? Yeah, tremendously. He just helped me kind of put some pieces together. So we started working in 2015. I have been working with him for eight years now. So we do a session almost every week. It's basically mostly around what is my biggest roadblock right now. We go through the biggest topics in my life and then we identify the biggest struggles or blockers and work with that. And it's just been very, very helpful for me because it creates this environment where nothing builds up because whenever there's something big, then I talk about it four days later or two days later. So I just had a fight with my girlfriend. Sometimes it's clear to me emotionally, like where maybe the, the tension came up, but sometimes I go up and I feel tension and I don't 
like I can't really trace it back. I, I don't really know where it's coming from or where it's going. And then I, I have a call with, I actually had a coaching with them two hours afterwards and we talked it through. And then it's just, just by talking it through, it's not necessarily that he tells me like, oh, this, you know, like do this. It's more like I was so focused on myself. I didn't really look at the situation. And then he was like, oh, maybe she's just under pressure right now. Maybe she's like, from what you said, she said, like, it just sounds like she's, she's stressed right now. And I was like, wow, I didn't even realize that I didn't see it. And three hours later, I talked to her and we, we, we solved it. And it's, I, I would say that happened to me in countless times in my career, very poker focused in the beginning. Now it's more business and life focused, um, but it's incredible uh, what I've worked through with him. Do you think that's something you could have done on your own or is this really like for some things it's so helpful to have a coach or some external person you can turn to? I kind of did it on my own. Like it's, it's, there's two sides to it. One I think is this exploration and the other one is a perspective that is being added into it. I would say it's probably 75, 25. So he doesn't give me a, a crazy amount of new perspective. He doesn't like say, oh, why don't you think about it this way? Like he does in some way, like he, he, he puts in like one idea of look at it this way. So this part is very valuable. So external perspective, I think, is, is something that a lot of people are lacking on things. Like they are very focused on their own perspective on something. So sometimes it just helps, especially if you trust that person to just hear, like, think about it this way. You know, what if she didn't do it to hurt you? What if she, like, it's just very helpful to hear this from a third party sometimes. But I would say the majority of work is, is just internal exploration of what am I feeling? How was this for me? What happened there? Like, like sharing, saying some things as well, like. I played this hand, I, I wouldn't tell my friends, like I feel ashamed for playing a hand this poorly, like even expressing that sometimes it's just, it's not that everyone plays bad hands sometimes, it's just what it is. There's a lot of very uh, relieving and, and great stuff and just exploring yourself, your perception, your experiences. And then I think there's something invaluable in external perspective that you value that just is really experienced to identify the core of stuff. So yeah, I would say therapy, done a lot of therapy in my life. I think it's almost mandatory. I would say if you do zero hours versus like one hour a week, it's like an incredible, incredible difference. I mean, in the end, I think therapy and coaching is, if it's a good coach, it's basically a therapist. It's just that we are very theme focused, which a therapist couldn't do. Like he doesn't understand poker. He doesn't understand what's going on there. So that's why I got much more out of my work with Elliot, but therapy has been a bit more like around different topics by childhood. So yeah, I would say highly recommend if you have some spare money, then that would be the first thing I would start investing in. And, and you and Elliot actually started what we call, I think it's called Pride Lights. That sounds like a coaching company for people that might not want or be able to afford like an actual coach in, in live sessions. Could that be a correct description of what Pride Lights is? Yeah, so basically the idea was he, he did these tapes for me before I played. After some time, it was incredibly helpful for me. So whenever I played a big final table, I listened to him um, or I did a session with him. But when he wasn't available, then I, I just put earplugs in and listened to a, a tape he created particularly for me. And then we were like, hey, let's do this for everyone. And the idea was mostly for people like he got more expensive with his success as well. And it was just, hey, there's so many people that would benefit from this. Let's put this out there for free. Like I, you could basically use it for free if you if you don't have money to pay for it. And if you want some more advanced stuff, then you can pay some money. It's basically, it's very cheap and you get direct access to the tapes he created, which I think is a really cool idea. What does he do on those tapes? 
Um, so it's basically five to 15 minutes and it's, you can pick, let's say a topic, right? So if you have problems falling asleep, there's sleep tapes to help you fall asleep. This was actually our most successful ones because it's the biggest struggle. Someone who maybe can't, can't fall asleep for two hours. Now you have solved this problem in five minutes. Like people are pretty happy. Prepping for an exam, all kinds of sports prep, soccer, tennis, weightlifting, football, whatever. Um, poker, obviously, um, because that's some area where we've done a lot of work in. Um, and then all kinds of general stuff as well. So you want to have a successful day. You want to prep for work. Like you maybe go on a difficult conversation, relationship topics. Uh, scared before flying like this basically i i don't at this point i think probably 300 different versions very cool and it just helps you get in the right mindset really like it and so you have been both a poker player um, and an entrepreneur do you see a lot of commonalities between these two or do you say they're very different uh extremely similar the thing that's generally in entrepreneurship i would say is a craft what a skill you learn. And, and there it really depends what role you have. If you found the company, I think it's a particular set where you have to make very meaningful decisions and take a lot of risk. And it's very much about weighing risk, carrying responsibility. And I feel that's something that I had to learn in poker uh, a lot because you, in poker, you lose 80% of the time, losing, 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 and still you can win. So I think that mindset is just something nobody has coming into that is everyone is used to just winning all the time, or at least you know, you win 80, let, let's say you have small wins, lots of small wins, and then you maybe have some bigger struggles here and there. Um, but now entrepreneurship, I feel, is just setbacks all the time. It's just most of the time things don't work out. And then sometimes they work out well or pretty well or extremely well. So building a very successful company is just, uh, it's not eight out of 10, it's maybe one out of 10. And I, I think that mindset already is, uh, is very helpful to come into entrepreneurship. And how can aspiring entrepreneurs get into that mindset? Like, do you have tips for them on how they can learn and that mindset of, hey, I'm going to lose a lot of time, oftentimes it won't work out, but just living for that one success, maybe, or at least holding on to that one success? No, I wouldn't say that. I, I think it's, I would, I would call it very principled working. I think it's extremely important to, to be very principled, to dissect the things that you can identify as being good or valuable without the outcome playing such a big role. So, so to not say, okay, um, I've only done good work if it turns out to be a unicorn, but to say, what are things that define good, rewarding work for me? And when you get a bit closer to that, you focus on that and then you just kind of step by step build these things. So for me, for example, I realized, okay, I, I just really enjoy great user experience. That's something I, in basically all the things I do, I, I really don't like when you make money with something, but like people don't actually like it or use it and like you it's not necessarily only the user experience but it's kind of like the let's say the five-star review it's like people you know people use it and they're like oh my god this you know this has been amazing like it really helped me um so like just use that value if you want to break it down and so sometimes this kpi can just be you know just make users happy you know like they they use it and they're just they're just really happy with their experience and that was something with Prime Mind for us. It was like, okay, not necessarily focus, oh, we want to, you know, we want to be this big or this big. It was more like, okay, let's just build a product that we think helps as many people as possible. And then we focus on those people that, that like it and just really try to make that as good as possible. And so you focus a lot on user feedback. You try to use it a lot yourself and so on. So it becomes a, like it defines the way you're working. That's something I've identified for myself is just I care a lot more than most other people about this. Is I, I cannot stand having a four out of five product it's just 
driving me crazy. So for example, something for me where I realize channels a lot of my work to just uh, make this a really exciting, valuable product. Um, and then the other stuff comes later. I like that. What is next for you? I don't know. Like some parts I know right now, my life is like a mosaic. It's lots of different smaller pieces that are built together. So I play some poker. I have poker code, my poker coaching company. So I have some operational tasks there. I have some investments that I've made over the years that have some minor roles. I, my girlfriend uh, and me, we spend quite some time together, then friends, then still some traveling. There's a few things on the horizon, like family planning is, is something we're talking about. So we're looking for a house potentially. So that's like on the personal side. On a professional side, it's really unclear for me because I think I would like to get involved into a project again that's a bit more challenging and has a bigger potential scope of that it can achieve. But I, I don't really, I haven't started looking. I don't really know where or what. So that is something that might pop up at some at some point in time. And um, yeah, poker, I also don't really know where this will go, but I, I think it's more likely I will play less in a few years than more. So I think that's, that's a new potential professional project. Those are probably the, the two bigger things on the horizon where I don't really know how they will look, but I'll just uh, let it come hit me. Things are bubbling beneath the surface. Yeah, let's see. The most unique is sometimes nice, right? Just having a lot of lot of little projects, a lot of things going on, and then at some point something exciting comes along that might change that. Then as a final question uh, for this podcast, most of our listeners are entrepreneurs or are just about to get started with their new projects, starting a company. What is one thing you, you would want to say to them when they embark on this journey? Yeah, I would say um, one thing I've seen is, let's say most people are equipped enough for whatever they plan to achieve. I would say that the majority of projects that I see, it's mostly lacking a level of sustainability for a variety of different reasons. And uh, I think it is also kind of a normal process to go through, but that would be the big thing I would give as advice is really think about the long term. Uh, it's very hard. It's it's not really possible, but I, I would say that if I start with something, I would say that I'm decently good at it after five years, roughly. So I can tell like the first one or two years is just swimming. You're just kind of helplessly overwhelmed, especially if you have a lot of responsibility. Year three, things start to settle a little bit, like more things become that you kind of know what's going on. So you can focus on like areas that are maybe challenging and you, you have some more time to, to like actually focus on those and get better. And like, you have less of this overwhelming feeling. And then year four or year five is where I would say you have some expertise in one or two areas, generally know what's going on in most areas. And then you can actually start really having an impact when you found a company. Most settings aren't even set up for that. You, you have maybe a three-year horizon where like you have one year of, you know, you try to build an MVP, then it's maybe about funding, you know, then you raise a, a pre-seed or a seed round, then you have another year or 15 months, then you either hit like some decent numbers and you get some follow-up funding or you don't and then game over or you do something new. Um, that's why I think also in the in the current state, it's just investing in a first-time founder with that setting is just just not as attractive. A lot of a lot of good uh, investors or or funds they just invest in second or third time founders because you don't want to be like the 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 playground or the testing ground. And and so as what I would suggest as as someone starting out, especially if you're you know twenty or you're early twenty, or you're just starting to to make your first experiences. When you have identified something that you're really passionate about and you wake up and you think about it all the time, 
just like don't try to rush it too much just try to think more about how's their setting maybe that i can kind of do the same thing for a longer period of time and maybe there's environments where you can learn from some of the best like this is the mistake i've made is i jumped right into doing my own thing whereas like i could have just went into other areas one or two years gained some experience learned from some of the best in the game take that with me put my own twist to it I would never go into a new area right now without looking what are the best people in this area doing right now. Because then you always know is like, oh, okay, like this is what I'm up against uh, rather than trying to build everything from scratch. And so, yeah, I, I would say there, you don't have to found a successful company in the first five years of your of your career. I would, I would say the opposite. Like for me, there would be zero expectation to build anything meaningful in the first five to 10 years. Just like gain as much experience as you can in the most sustainable way, build relationships, learn things, be curious, and don't really focus on building a successful company. I, I think that's not a very healthy, uh, not a very healthy approach in that stage of your life. So if you want to be an entrepreneur, don't be an entrepreneur. Take some more time. <laughs> no, I mean, that can also be a way to start out, but, but I think you, uh, there's a lot of businesses, for example, where I don't think you, it, it needs to be this hit or miss style. Yeah, it's not going to be a unicorn. But also, like, it doesn't need to be. A lot now with the experience, I when I when I have more and more experience in an area and I look at, let's say, people who start up building businesses in this area, I don't feel like it's this rule like, oh, one out of 10 is going to make it. A lot of the companies I look at from the setting they start with, they have close to 0% of making it. There's certain things about the business, for example, or the environment you're in or what is necessary that you only understand with some experience in that particular space. To put... Everything on one card in an area where you're just not very experienced or have any idea what's going on about the environment, I think it's just uh, not that necessary. And I'm saying this as someone who's very willing to take risks. So, very good advice. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Pedro, for appearing on the podcast. And maybe we'll see you again at some point. Thanks for your time, and it was fun. This was Liam Borma interviewing Fedor Holtz on the similarities between playing poker and founding a company. I hope you learned as much as I did today and I'm looking forward to seeing you again in the next episode. Thank you for listening.